0: question how often have you wished you could just push pause on life for a second just to get your shit together just a brief moment to sort life out trigger warning final conversations in this podcast episode uh work around suicide depression mental health and we also speak a bit about bereavement too a taranaki retreat is a sanctuary for many and a safe haven for many more A small piece of paradise within taranaki which offers respite and the chance for people to get away from the pressures of life to go and arm themselves with the tools that they need to go out there and face the world. Because let's be honest, sometimes it can all get a bit much, Hey, eh? Jamie Allen, father, husband and executive officer for the Tamaki Retreat, amongst many other things, shares his story of walking beside his daughter Carrie as she faced cancer and then eventually passed in 2012. Chris also joins us. He is also a father, husband and former resident of the retreat who is still involved with the beautiful mahi that they do. Chris shares the story of losing a child to suicide and another to a car accident, both within six months of each other, less than three years ago. He speaks on how these events have inspired his journey since, but not without sharing some of the deepest and darkest moments of his hiding, as he continues to battle through them, from feeling like a failure as a father to encouraging every one of us to step into those vulnerable moments that we're often presented with and connect heart to heart. If you need to speak to someone whānau, text 1737 to talk now. You can also text 5626 to contact The Lowdown. You can also call the depression helpline on 0800 111 757. That is 0800 111 757. Just another warning whānau, conversations in this episode are situated around suicide, depression, mental health and bereavement. But don't let that deter you from the awesome mahi at the Taranaki Retreat do and we're about
1: to find out right now thanks for the opportunity uh, thanks for making the time and for gathering the stories the way that you do brother mm. um, thank you for who you are and, um, and I see you and I see the work that you do and love it thank you um, I, uh, I think um, more of this more that helps us to, um, to just pause and listen to each other and to, to learn um and that's something I guess I, I I make it a discipline to do every day and in every every conversation is to reflect on what there is to learn in the conversation from that person's experience and who they are um, and uh, in previous roles that I've had <laughs> that have sat alongside just who I am and being a dad and uh, uh, being um um alongside my partner. Um, some of my working life has taken me um, to places where I've seen um, such uh, I guess suffering, isolation and loneliness. Uh, that's included um, time uh, working in uh, in prison support services, uh, time as a police officer um, and time as a, as a minister within the church um, and I guess in each of those roles there have been times when i've sat down with people and um just reflected on the enormity of what people carry um and how much there is just tucked away um people that you just bump into in the street and have no idea what's just tucked away under the surface what we're carrying Mm. and what we learn to cover up and um most recently i suppose uh over the last 10 years it's been a real focus for me around how people uh, are struggling with uh with distress in their lives and how that distress is playing out for them and particularly where that leads to um to suicidal thoughts and um in particular there have been people uh, that i recall who's faces I can just bring to mind right now where there's been such suffering and such isolation and where hope has been hard to find and caring for families after somebody's been lost um, and becoming more and more aware of where some of the, the gaps are that people can so easily fall through and feeling quite motivated and, uh, and convicted to do something. Um, as part of a team to fill some of those gaps and give some more options. And what really brought me around to reflecting on that was um, during the time that our, our little girl was really sick and she'd had this cancer diagnosis uh, out of the blue, was a real healthy, lovely kid. And um, Sorry, did you say a little girl or your little girl? My little girl, okay. yeah, um, Carrie. And um, just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this diagnosis that we just, it was a, quite a surreal time for us and um, lightning speed into treatment and, and what that all looked like for her as a as a, as a nine, 10 year old. And walking alongside her through that journey, um, there, were, there were some terrible moments of suffering in there. Um, as a dad and as somebody who really loved this little one so deeply. But I was also blessed by so much compassion and holding uh, over that time and people who really cared for us. And uh, I think there's something about the the sight and the experience of, uh, of a child who's going through chemo that stirs up in us this well of compassion. Um, you know, we look at this little one, bald and uh, and skinny looking uh, and you look at the parents and you, you know, you, you look into their eyes and you kind of know what they need. But as we were, as a family, as we were going through that journey, there were others who were within our network and circle of friends where their suffering was uh, of a similar kind, but. Uh, also quite different pathway so mm. we had friends where their teen was um, going through um, drug uh, and alcohol addiction stuff uh, another whānau where their teen was uh, was cutting and was uh, self-harming another family where their teen was just struggling with such massive anxiety that getting out of bed and making it into school was not uh, was not happening they were a crying little bundle in a bed each day um, and i think what we reflected on in each of those cases was that that wellspring of compassion and holding kind of wasn't there in the same way um, for those whanau Uh, i think principally because people just aren't so familiar with the territory of mental health yeah don't understand fully what might help are really worried about saying the wrong thing and making it all worse and then the, somewhere out there, there sits a sense of stigma of what you're going through as well, right? So if your teen is going through depression, is that somehow my fault as a parent? Am mm. I a bad father? Am I, is this, is this home environment harmful for them? Is it because of me? Um, and so the, I think there's still some shame that sits there c- completely wrongly uh, when you've, w- when your little one is suffering. Um, and part of our experience when we were holding Carrie through that time was uh, uh, a lot of time in Ronald McDonald House, and we were blown away by the, the provision that that is just amazing, the, the times that we spent there, um, and we'd just rock up, and the person at reception would say, oh, yep, um, there's your room, go and settle in. And they understood what we were going through, and there was there was the opportunity to sit with others for a kai, um, and to know that there was a there was something that we had this experience in common, what we were all going through uh, as parents. And I thought, oh, this this feels so much less isolating, and you 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 can think from a position of uh, suffering that you're the only person who quite knows that experience, or who else is going through quite this? And then you meet the other people and you go, oh, and maybe I could learn from you as well and you from me and we're we're kind of alongside each other. And um, uh, around the time of when she died, there were some particular situations that came onto my radar, I was a minister at the time. And there were some um, tangi which I was involved with where we were uh remembering someone who'd been lost to us by suicide and time spent with those Fano, um listening to their experience of trying to find the right solution at a time of desperate need um just trying to find what might help um and just the experience of the being all these barriers um, you know oh yeah there's this help available but it was going to cost you a load of money or there was uh, there was this waiting list or it required a GP referral or you needed to be at an acute level of mental distress mm. and uh, a lot of people just experiencing well ironically I didn't come across as ill enough uh, to need help. Um, and as I listened to those stories and reflected on what it was to be frightened and isolated in that space and you you know you can go oh this situation could so have been changed if so and so did this or if they were uh, if the hospital had been better or there was a lower waiting list and um when you start pointing the finger of course you get the other three fingers pointing back at you mm. and uh I came to understand that there was uh an accountability there that belonged to us all as a community and there was there was around those particular bereavements which i call to mind now when those people were lost to us there were so many who said oh if only i'd known if only i'd understood if only you know someone had uh, let me know i could have done this uh, and uh, there was some capacity there, there was, uh, people were available, but they didn't know they, uh, they had capacity to help. Mm. Um, and then there were those who had a, a deficit, a need, a desperate need for help. So there's kind of this imbalance and I, I thought, well, how do we connect those two up so that where there's that deficit and where there's that, you know, ca- uh, capacity. These could be joined up, so the one linked to the other. Because I think, as I reflect and listen to a lot of people's stories through the retreat, what's most needed uh, often, alongside clinical supports, is just some time, some space, and someone who is alongside you um, to tool you up, to hear your situation, and to reflect with you, um, and you to hold that space you don't need to be a clinician in fact there's probably advantages not to not being a clinician Mm. Um, you need to have some parallel life experience uh, where you can relate and connect you need to have some time to give um, and some commitment some compassion a good pair of listening ears Uh, but you don't need to be a clinician now there's a role for clinical support which is vital and that's Particularly to do with acute need and our acute uh, mental health support needs, um, but alongside that, there's a huge amount which just you and I, as um, as people, can provide. So we began to talk about whether we could create something that held some of those aspects of Ronald McDonald House, um, but was focused around addressing where there was that need, that deficit, where. Uh, the wheels were starting to go, uh, fall off and things were beginning to go to custard. And perhaps if something happened right now, if there was an opportunity to press pause on the situation, if there was someone who could come alongside, who you could relate to, uh, who would hear you, who could maybe advocate for you getting support, who could help you fund pathways into, if you needed um, counselling, therapeutic support, but couldn't afford it or wasn't accessible to you. What if there was a place that you could turn to that would provide that? Uh, where there would be as few of those barriers and obstacles as it was humanly possible. Um, So that there would be no cost to your involvement or engagement because it seemed to me so often it was like, well, here's the bill. And when things are going to custard, there isn't any resource or money around. That's generally all gone a long time ago if you've ever had it. Um, The um, Schemes which required referral through your GP, great, but that works if you've got a GP. A lot of men don't, and a lot of men don't go and see their GP. Um, They're afraid of the lifestyle conversation and put off by that, or just feel that sense of huge embarrassment. So what if there was a a pathway in where your mana was really held high, where you were recognised, not with a balance of power, but just in our common humanity, and that could incorporate A place where you could come and stay for a bit. Um, A place where you could connect up with a peer support uh, listener, someone who you might just somehow identify with in some kind of a way and reflect on options. What if we gathered a team about that? And as we began to do our thinking around that and tell that story, a whole bunch of people said, Oh, yep, (laughs) I've been waiting for something like this to happen. Here's my story. And a lot of those people said... Um, we went through this exact same thing and we don't want anyone to go through what we went through, so let's make something change here You know, let's not wait any longer for there to be enough money in the system to provide this or the government to start taking interest in developing community facilities you know, why don't we just get on and do it in that awesomely Taranaki way um, and kind of figure it out as we go along and I uh, uh, So a lot of people shared that vision and and we began to listen to stories and pinch bits from other models and look at other facilities that were trying to do the same thing, um, where it was just relating through our common humanity, through using where there was that capacity in people to connect up for where there was that need. Um, So we started co-designing that process and gathering the team, listening and learning. We tried to find another model within New Zealand that was doing the same thing, but there, in terms of offering a, a residential space where you could stay that was all around suicide prevention, um, there wasn't a parallel for us to work from. We looked at some models from overseas, we learned and listened to how communities worked. We, um, as a family, we felt really passionately committed to this. and. Um, we were still in the process, I guess, of reflecting on the legacy of our, of our little girl and I'm feeling that actually the material stuff in our lives really didn't matter that much anymore. Um, that it was all about relationships. And so we reflected on what we had and um, decided to sell up our, our place and to, um, to set up a, a trust that would establish the space found a, a little plot of land in Elmata that felt right, had some lovely waterways around it, and uh, awesome view out over the Mona. We wanted the natural surrounds to really enhance the, the well, just for them to be a part of the healing significantly so that when you entered into the place, you just go, oh, this, this feels like a safe place for me to be. Um, somewhere where if you were entering through the gate and you had a pile of trauma, um, you could potentially feel safe enough to begin a process of healing. And even if that was just about understanding together about what that process might look like, even if that was to take years to build together, uh, that we'd start that journey and in some way become whānau to each other. So we fundraised and built, and fundraised a bit more, and figured the model more. Found some uh, amazing people to come on, uh, come on as trustees, and to share the risk and the uh, and the planning, um, and build up the policy and process around it. Developed the IT, gathered the team, um, fundraised a bit more, and then um, started doing what we do. And um, since then, we've worked with I think uh, something over five thousand whānau who've connected with I us know. in, uh, in uh, either with their own situation just going hey just maybe you know I'll put my hand up or others where someone in the whānau said oh, I'm just feeling so worried for my son, my nephew, um, my partner, my colleague um, just wondering if there's anything that you might be able to put into this mix. and. Um, I think it, the retreat is something else in that mix, so uh, it's it's part of a network of what supports us through tough times, and it's an option, um, and as I've listened and learned from each of those stories, um, I think I've seen, I've been constantly just overwhelmed by people's mana, by their courage, by... Um, what it's taken to to reach out, what people have been through in their stories, the huge amount of trauma that people are carrying tucked away, that they've just put the mask on and um, just gone on, oh, I will just keep going, and um, somehow get get through this. Um, and every day is a is a privileged space for me because I I get to be alongside what I see as the, the beautiful survivors, the, um, the very people who are there reflecting on, can I keep going for another year, another month, another day? Um, help me with this, you know, convince me, find me a pathway. Um, so the, uh, the retreat offers the opportunity for people to come and stay residentially but that's only a little chunk of what we do. The rest looks like meeting up in our in people's homes, in cafe spaces. Um, it looks like workshops and support groups. Um, it looks like um, working with our coach or getting into one of our funded counselling support programmes or working with the art therapist. Uh, it might be uh, about um, working through anxiety stuff or looking at where nutrition or personal training might come in. Um, it's very much about reflecting on the person holistically, so thinking of those four aspects of who we are, um, thinking of where we're at spiritually and where we're carrying spiritual pain, mentally and emotionally, physically what the body is trying to tell us and within our fano, what's hurting. Um, So that we're not looking at the person just as a body or a mind. Um, You know, we look at the the amazingness and the beauty of the person as a whole and together think what's going to start to make a difference. Awesome
0: far out was funny like that's definitely so far I mean we're like 25 minutes in and this is definitely the least I've ever spoken (laughs) during one of my own podcasts which is crazy but I was just so the big thing as well where you're talking about everything that you're talking about and I guess paying attention to the journey and I guess I've got the luxury of having actually visited The physical physical location so when you speak a lot you know having the whenua there and the waterways and stuff obviously I can picture it all and and it's like I'm kind of having these epiphanies of like oh that makes so much sense now you know as you're explaining things um, and the big smile on your face too, bro. As you walk through this journey, the, the smile that you had on your face as we spoke about all that. And the bro smiling too. You know, when you were describing aspects there, so Chris smiling as well, which is cool. Um, and we'll get to, to that as well, bro, about how that came about. But a couple of things that you brought up that I just want to circle back to. Aye. You mentioned in your um, in your corridor there that... Um, the, what happened with your daughter i guess taught, taught you kind of the value of relationships and and you know you kind of i wouldn't say foregoed but or forgave um things like um position and material stuff did that happen i guess not because of the event but during that time with your daughter or were you always like that anyway with relationships first and stuff or were you were you a person i guess who got who can fall into that i guess for lack of a better term, capitalism trap that a lot of us do. We do get consumed with having things and wanting the stuff and all that sort of thing. Did you hey, go through a transition there or have you never been, personally, have you never been kind of
1: dabbled in that world? Oh, what a chunky question that is. Yeah. Um, oh, I think when, yeah, we're, when we're faced with a massive loss in our life, it just resets a whole load of things. It just completely resets our reaction to stuff changes our level of empathy and compassion. Um, And I also believe that part of a a healthy grieving process is where we learn what baton we're being passed by our loved one, what gift they're giving to us, the work that they had unfinished that we carry on doing, the ways that we honour them with the people that we become. Yeah. I I've I've never been obsessed with owning stuff um but it went very very much next level that you know when you're alongside somebody that you love and they're um they're in a the hospital bed you you know you you reflect quite deeply mm. on actually what's important in life none of that stuff at all matters shit <laughs> just yep. it doesn't mean anything uh, the only really thing the, the, the deep and beautiful thing that you hold there is the time that you invested in each other and the love that you grew between each other. Uh, and that, I, I believe that extends way beyond our immediate Fano ties. You know, I believe in Fano in, in its widest sense that we have connections with each other that uh, are there for the nurturing and the growing. You know, I'm, I'm here with Chris today. And I consider him whānau to me mm. um, because we've had the opportunity to connect and, and kind of grow together. Those are the things that are of value, hey, when uh, when you stop and look at what you've got. Um, yeah, we can easily get stuck on hamster wheels where we are trying to achieve a better car and a, a nicer house. and. Um, uh, and the, the the constant pressure to consume uh, and to buy more things that we're aggressively marketed 24-7. Yep, yep. You know, just get this one more thing and your life will be better. Mm. Um, the minute you get it home and unbox it, life is going to get a bit better and easier. Well, it's really informative to me when we uh, began this uh, time when we were building it. And uh, we had a bit of a chunk of time when we just moved uh, the building onto the site. And um, as a whanau, we moved in there to live for a bit. So we were, I think, six weeks on the site when there was no power, no running water. Um, we had the long drop uh, out the back, but it was a pretty gnarly winter. Um, and we, uh, it was quite a different experience. So, uh, as a family, we'd kind of gather in the evening with the candles, and um, we'd sit and talk to each other, because none of us were on our devices. Yeah, uh, no other option. There were no other options. <laughs> we would might play cards by candlelight, we'd talk to each other, um, we'd curse about the long drop blowing over, and um, it was an incredible time, and we looked at, you know, I looked at the appliances that were around the walls of the room and just kind of waiting there going, plug me in, you know, I'm gonna make your life better, all the computers and things. And there they were, hungry for our time, all labour-saving gadgets, you Mm -hmm. know, these things which will save us time. And we went, do we really wanna plug you in again? Is there something so beautiful about what we have right now? I don't know, and then, a month later when the power came back on again, um, it was quite a different experience of what had been f- valuable to us in the past and, and what was just shit that was wasting our, <laughs> our time to, to value and know each other, hey? Yeah. We were so distracted. I think we are also very distracted, uh, drawn in so many different directions, um, trying to adapt our our analogue personhood to act in a digital manner. Hey, we're trying to integrate with platforms constantly which operate entirely differently from us as humans. Um, we're trying to convert ourselves into, into digital formats and to operate at that pace and it's exhausting us. It's, uh, uh, it's damaging our ability to, to form relationship and be in a relationship because we're just so distracted. Makes us transactional, I think, which is that's like
0: very unhuman. Yep, but it makes yep. us, but you know, right. because when you think of like say machines or whatever you want to call it or algorithms, it's all based off reaction. It's like, okay, whatever you this did, this is what the machine's meant to do now, but there's no reciprocation back right. to that. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel about it anyway. And I've never thought of it like that. Like, we're almost, it's a programming that's happening sort of like people are being programmed to function in a sort of way that suits you know the, ma- the machines or the computers or the devices or we're however trying. you word
1: it we're trying to operate on that level and at that pace mm. um, and it's doing us in because we can't and we're so very different to that we we are not digital beings we're massively beautiful analogue beings yep <laughs> yeah, and they don't translate well so it's harming us mm. now when
0: you I mean I kind of feel the same about um, like a, a, maybe it might be a rough analogy there's as these conversations happen I always try and make analogies and comparisons just to help listeners understand but I kind of feel the same way about like when you try and put feeling into words it's quite reductive isn't it so then you know no matter what I say or what I do it'll be it's very hard for me to convey exactly how I'm feeling and for you to completely get that so then when you think of us like with the machine aspect too or trying to keep up with the digitalism um, you can't put that into a humour I know they try AI and all these sort of crazy things but tangibly it'll never work because it's not the same thing I feel like yeah I feel like me trying to put my furlings into words is just as reductive as people trying to fit into being these digital beings that we're squeezing into. And I'm only thinking about this now as you talk about it. I'm having these little... My mind's going off, going far out. I've never made that correlation before. But.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you're right. And where that takes us to is the real lowest common denominator of communication, right? So we're constantly communicating with little snippets of message um, that convey nothing of our personhood, right? We're having all one or two dimensional conversations by text and we can put what we can of emotion into them but there's no substitute for sitting down and looking at each other in the eye um, because that's when you receive something that's, uh, that that can't be put into words mm. and uh, certainly through the retreat we, we do all that we can to honour that, we acknowledge that communication uh, is far more beautiful than than conversation only. It is about being in each other's space. It might be about art. It might be about a, um, a fire pit and writing a letter that carries some of your pain and being witnessed, um, putting that into the flames and letting go of it. Or it might be sitting, you know, the number of people who've had that experience in their schooling of, oh, you can't do art for shit and taking that fully <laughs> on board and, um, have the opportunity to just have a go, do some painting. Mm. And we've seen people just paint and paint and paint for two weeks, turn it out, look what I've done. I never thought I could do this. Or people who've had a go at writing and gone, poetry, me, segue. Could I write a poem? What might that look like? What if I just wrote down what I felt Mm. and I just liberating each other to be expressive in the way that might suit us um what if someone sat down with me and helped me out with the guitar to see if uh, i could knock up a tune mm. yeah so i guess that's the the holistic stuff because all those things that we've mentioned are, are to do with the wider where our love sits and where our creativity sits and where our awe and wonder sits and the bit where we go out and look at the night sky and uh, um go wow. Oh. Or see the 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 waves on the beach and uh, enthralled by it, or um, the the ways that we can express stuff creatively. Um, Yeah,
0: it's crazy. Like the more I speak to to people, especially during the podcast, like it just I can't help but get this feeling like it's life's more about unlearning
1: than it seems to be about learning. Yeah, completely. And part of my role is to look after that wider of that spiritual side of who we are. Um, because you I don't think if you if you sit down with your GP you'll necessarily have the opportunity to explore the big questions of life or to touch on where where you're carrying that suffering.
0: It's transactional.
1: What yeah. we said before. It's yeah. transactional. Yeah. Um, and it it often is a conversation around what medication um, you know, might address. Um and when we get into those spiritual conversations, when uh, I hear what people are, are carrying, mm. um, and sometimes that's about doubt, or it might be about shame, or it might be about fear. Um, and you see that person in, in the beauty, no matter what they are, whether I was sat in a prison cell with them and they were looking at a, a, a life sentence or whether it's a it's a it's a teen who's connected with the retreat because for some stupid reason their life is being made hell because of their sexuality and we haven't fully understood the beauty and wonder of uh of what human sexuality looks like so where um <laughs> we're we're not allowing people to be liberated uh, in mm. their sexuality for some as I'm if you're trying it to put them into business. boxes. Right? Yeah,
2: you're pretty much labelling people with your div, you know it's division. Mm. You are causing someone to stay in their lane type thing. Mm-hmm. You know? It's all division mm. and labelling, which is yeah, pretty hard to fight that.
0: Yeah, it is like we spoke about it before we kind of flicked the microphone on, right? Like it's is putting people in a box mm. and kind of making them fit a certain criteria. whether I don't know whether that's because people in certain boxes are easier to control. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But, I mean, one big thing that it kind of seems to be... I, I feel like it's a theme, and I might be off here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what we've spoken about so far... Like, even if, if I look at the... If we use the painting example, someone who comes in and says, oh, I'm crap at painting, I don't know why I'm going to bother, you know? It's How much... I guess how much of those sort of stories that we tell ourselves and I know there's no like right or wrong answer I guess I'm just kind of inviting you guys to share a perspective how much of that is kind of programmed or like externally influenced and how much of it is is internally influenced like that I can't I'm not good at this I can't do it because as soon as the reason why I ask is because as soon as you started talking about painting I thought to myself straight away I'm so shit at painting (laughs) that's what I thought straight away and then I kind of caught that thought and I was like Bro, why do you talk to yourself <laughs> like that, you know? And then I started having all these weird conversations in my head as you guys are speaking, but there's a lot to be said about that, right? I guess these boxes we put ourselves in, and the self-talk, the self-talk can be so So, so nuts. retraining
2: your brain, mm. you know, and to, I, I guess, give yourself an opportunity and a chance and, and accept that, you know, yeah, maybe you fail, but it's not the end of the world type thing, you know, you've just got to get back on that story again, you know? So it's, yeah, like, like you said, it's, it's about trying to train your brain into thinking positive and, and to, to making sure that you are number one in your mind, mm. you know, no matter what anyone else thinks. You know, as long as you know that you're number one for you, and then the effort that you put in, you've got to be proud of that, because it's the effort that you put in, right, instead of, yeah, because it's so easy to fall into that negativity. And then, you know, you learn about those small steps. So it's trying to take those smaller steps instead of those giant leaps. You know, a giant leap is harder to fall on. You know, you fall from a giant leap, you're gonna hurt yourself quite uh-huh. hard. You know, you take that smaller leap, well then that, that little fall back you know, isn't so isn't so hard to take. You know. the drop's not as big. Eh? Yeah, yeah, you can give it a go, but you learn that from from a retreat and whatnot. You know, I never thought that way years for a long, long
0: time I never thought that I was like, I can't you know, I'm not good enough So now that you're on a roll bro <laughs> <laughs> before I get you to introduce yourself though, I just want to ask one question to both of you before I forget and then we'll we'll get into yeah. you introducing yourself and and your involvement with with the place yeah, Kind because of, you touched on it a little bit there and it's actually something I ask a lot of my friends just again their perspective is that you know you mentioned you kind of you need to have that kind of positive reinforcement within oneself to, to pick you up in those times that you're lulling. A lot of people, they fall into, I call it quicksand, where you like, you feel bad for feeling bad. So what I mean by that <laughs> yeah, is yeah. like, I feel bad because I don't have as much to worry about as this person does, so then I feel even worse because they've got it worse than I do, and it kind of becomes well, a bit the of a same pattern.
2: same when you don't express yourself to the people you care about, right? So, you know, all of a sudden you feel twice as bad because you don't feel like you can trust, you know, someone you really care for. Far out, yeah. So that's, yeah.
0: That's crazy, I've never, because I've definitely got people in my life who I know I can confide in, like I know I absolutely can confide in. So when I do get stuck in that quicksand and I, f- that is probably something that come up bro which I've never actually out loud acknowledged before is like man I should just go and talk to I don't know my brother one of my good girl mates um I've got all these people I can talk to why don't I just go talk to them instead of going through this stuff yeah, in my head and then I feel bad that I don't go and talk to them yeah. and then away we are yeah. yeah yeah yeah. that's it hey your mind straight
2: away tells you nah you're putting a burden on them so, you know you, you, <laughs> yeah. you're making them worried about you <laughs> and you're already worried about yourself type of thing, so you start worrying about them. Cause
1: yeah. they're worried for you. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's the, the, this premise there. I hear people come out with many times a week. You know, uh, some of the cliches like, "Oh, there's always someone worse off than me." Well, um, I do that hard out. And therefore, my issue is uh, I shouldn't be Inveiled for Yeah, love, yeah, and. You know, I'd really like to erase that cliche because it's so incredibly unhelpful. I think it, it's such a fallacy because it, it seems to, it, it clearly says um, that suffering is, a, is in some way a quantifiable product. Yeah, yeah. So here, uh, here in my hand, I hold five kilos of my suffering. own suffering. Oh, bro, over here's got 7.5 kilos of suffering in his hand. Why am I bothered about my five? Mm. Now we might go, well, objectively, I'll look at my situation and look at his situation and go, "Why shit's worse than mine. Yeah. We can't quantify his suffering like that because it's unique to the person's experience and journey through what they've been through in their childhood, the trauma that they carry, their take on the world, their experience of it, the love that they feel in their heart, uh, so many million variables. So, objectively, or in any way at all, we can't quantify uh, suffering into kilograms or metres of suffering or, or kilometres of suffering and say, yeah, I'm, I'm carrying 18 kilos and my bro here is carrying 25. I think my reflection around that really grew through connection um, and spending time um, with, uh, with people in parts of the world where life doesn't compare with the privilege of living in New Zealand, so what it is to live in conditions where there's no access to health care, clean water, good food, secure housing, situations of extreme poverty. where I've had the opportunity to be amongst people where I've looked at that with my external eyes and gone, shit, look at what you're managing the, the, the poverty of this that looks like. 20 kgs of suffering or Mm. a half a tonne of suffering and reflected on the the people's experience and where they are at emotionally and mentally, way, way, way better off than um, many people living in the West who have every opportunity and um, privilege available to them potentially desperately unhappy and suffering. So we think we can analyse uh, the suffering in a situation and say, whoa, that sucks much worse. In reality, we, we can't quantify it. Weird need to measure should I? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, well, because, because then we can compare it. Yep, yeah. and um, over 10% of our thoughts each day involve a comparison of us to somebody else. Wow. So yeah, we've been sat here now, chatting for about an hour or so, so each of us will have encountered comparison thoughts in that time. Oh, 100%. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, people who are listening to this, you know, 10% of the thoughts that take place in, a, in an hour of each day is where mm. we're going, all oh, right, how do I compare with that? How do I compare myself with that? And the, the challenge is that we, by tendency, compare ourselves with whatever is the extreme view of, of what we regard as being excellent. So, yeah. we take where yeah. we're at and we go, what is the very best person at this? I suck. <laughs>
2: yeah, you, your trauma's different, but the hurt and the pain is all the same. Mm-hmm. So you uh, has that, that sad feeling or that hurt or that anger, but you we're know, all going through the different things to get that. But there, there's always something that connects you to the next person. And that's what the retreat brings forward to the retreat. I've never. Yeah, I guess I was one of those ones that thought I was crazy. or People might look at me as crazy because I sat there and cried for nothing. Uh, really emotional, went from being one of those hard role models to an emotional one. And then, get to the retreat. Yeah, we all went through different traumas, but we all felt the same. We all hurt the same. We all had that, that misguidance that we needed or just wanted to run away. Yeah, so we all had those similar connections, yeah, and that's what I guess made it easier to talk or to understand what we what we're feeling. Or you know, I never knew what depression was. Never knew what mental health was. Just knew that it was an illness or a sickness. know, yeah, I didn't want to go get locked up in a padded room. So that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, but then you get that proper proper treatment from, from good people. We just give you, you know, tools that you need to help build your brain back you know, to, that, to that stableness. I mean, I'm never gonna be 100% free from my demons or from my storms, I call them storms. Yeah, but unless I've got the tools to deal with it now, And instead of wanting to hide and run away, you know, I pick up a phone, I call my life coach and Tell them I've got problems and or issues or, you know. Uh, my storms are here. And then I could talk about it and release that storm, get that cloud, you know, that, that clear sky in the rain.
0: So let's carry on with, with your corridor there, bro. Yep. Can you share a little bit with us in the listeners and stuff, I guess, were there any sort of events in particular, any sort of climax that led yeah. to you going to the retreat? Once again, anything you don't want to share, bro, you don't have no, to, it's, but...
2: It's yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll probably go through the child and stuff, but but the, the recent, so three years ago, no, I was four, four now, I think, guy all five, my stepson, that I that I had helped raise since he was a two-year-old. I've committed suicide, so at our house, just up the road here um yeah i spent spent the day with him actually with him and him and my mate where we had ourselves in and he actually whipped my ass in the game of league in you know, league live and Go on playstation i packed a little sad but not a not a hissy fit to say oh i'm going home for dinner and now you walk out type thing. but yeah um, yeah i fell asleep around about 6 30 7 o'clock Wake up to my partner screaming the house down at about 11, 45 close to 12 o'clock. I remember was saying that, saying that our boy had, um, yeah, I guess, taken his life. So I ran into his room thinking he was there. He wasn't. Ran outside and as soon as I opened the door, he was right there. you know the vision, I, was, I would see him or something. Oh, man. Yeah, nah, it all just happened so fast, uh, done CPR and what not till, till everyone turned up, all the you know, fire brigade and what not turned up, but yeah, no, nah, nothing happened, he, he didn't make it. Um, but yeah, so for a whole two years, me and my partner and the kids you know, mourned, struggled we actually had a lot of, lot of good community here in Waitarahu who, who helped us out a lot. You know, we couldn't go to work or nothing like that. All I could think about was that night, and that's all that was running in my head constantly for, for, for I guess, 12 months, man. You know? And eventually, sort of got through it, just through counsellors, through the doctors and, and whatnot, man, and, and just talking amongst each other, and, yeah, you know, knowing that we had to stay strong for our kids, even though they were hurting too. I mean, we all went through counseling, kids and all. Um, and then, um, pretty much nearly, nearly a year after that, we had a young boy living with us who was my partner's his partner's cousin. And I got him a job at um, Stepping Stones at the time in the nursery, and he was doing really well too. So he just come back from South Island, picking fruit and whatnot, and then come up here, come back here. He wanted to carry on working, so I scored my job. Did that for about five months, so probably not even that long, about four months. And then four o'clock, one Friday afternoon, he had, and I I looked out and asked him if I wanted to ride home. She knew it was good, and he took off before me. About an hour later I left too and I heard the sirens go off just before I left and I didn't think nothing of it, got a detour. Had to go around the block and got home and realised the boy wasn't there. And yeah, I found out that he had died in that car crash at that time. And that's pretty much where it just kicked off, that's where I lost it, at first losing my son. Felt like that, it was my fault, because uh, being a father, he should have been able to trust to talk to me, Yeah, you know, I never knew he was thinking that like that, and, you know, yeah. You because know, I've always thought suicidal, and so I felt like he took my spot, you know, um, but then, like I said, going to the retreat and whatnot, I got to work on myself and, and understand that Instead you know, of blaming myself, you know, tell him I love him and I'll see him when I get there, but, you know, and do, do him proud by working on me and you know, moving forward and looking after his brothers you know, and, and doing. I felt like I failed then, so I'm doing my best, well, five times better now to make sure that my kids know that they can trust me and you know, whatever they want to talk to me about. I'm there. Um, you know, it's sad that I had to lose someone to, to think like that and to be that role model for not just my kids but for all these younger ones that have gone through, Yeah, you know, that are going through the same shit that I went through when I was younger as a teen. So, yeah, and, and explaining to them that I understand, you know, we're not weak because we want to talk. And that that's that's probably the hardest thing that, that a lot of us males have to get over. Is um, it's not weakness. Uh, we we aren't we're not weak. It's actually strong to talk. And then you get that, you get better support when you talk. So yeah, that that's my story behind why I ended up at the treat, you know. I didn't trust in talking to no one. I felt like no one would understand because they never walked my shoes. I really did feel like a failure as a father. Losing two boys under my key. it was
0: tough. What is the retreat? helped you through bro and and dealing with this stuff
2: Uh, it's helped me to to realize that (coughs) yeah that I am worth being here and there's so much I can do for others Uh, yeah I feel like they're giving me the power of wanting to help of wanting to be the difference and as many people as I can. The
0: form
2: mm. you know, that that role model that people look up to, I well then So be it. I'm gonna give it my all and make sure that you know the road I walk it is safe enough for the for the people following me to walk.
0: I'm being mindful of time here because yeah. I know, and of which you know, it feels real kind of almost blunt to do when, you know, what you're talking about, bro, is so powerful and so vulnerable of you, bro, like, you know, e korea, e korea mutu hikakwe ke ako i te tua kana, teno kaha mahi ki te pāna ki a nei mea, te waurua tanga, te tanga, Tengaro or Tamariki, bro, e mahi taumaha, enguri ka mohi o erake te rongo ki a tātou i te wā nei, ka, mautera, ka it's all about the future, brother. Ha. So before we rock and roll then, I guess any any final thoughts from either of you, both of you? Just I guess anything that you'd like to say.
2: Yeah, I just hope that that yeah, there's a better understanding for the people who aren't struggling. We just have to understand it you know, it's, it's not about feeling sorry for anyone we're, we're not after we're not, not after that we just need the understanding you know of, of you know, there's a reason why we're quiet at times and, and there's a reason why we're outspoken at times so and you know, just be understanding of people's feelings and, and judgment and,
0: Jay, anything you want to say before we rock
1: and roll? Uh, It feels like sacred ground to me just to listen to your cordeno, Chris. Um, I don't know, for me, your mana is skyscraper. I see you as uh, an inspiration to how I go about my life. Um, I feel the privilege of you sharing what it is to be in that place where you feel that you didn't do a good enough job as a father um, I stand against that sentiment 100% I do believe that we do the very best with what we've given we're given in our circumstances um, through what we're taught and modelled. I see that we carry a lot of our ways of being according to what was passed to us intergenerationally. To me, the retreat's role fundamentally is to try and interrupt where there are generational cycles, whether they're about not expressing your emotion, feeling not good enough anger, violence, addiction, abuse. Um, that's where the whole community's role comes in because to break those cycles so that they stop playing out again and again requires all of us to be attentive to where they're happening and to put the brakes on them and to work against what our own wiring um, is and what we've been given and i'm making to you because you touch very lightly on wiring the that's in there that you've gone i to rewire this and that's a mission because it's so hardwired that we don't show our emotions it's weakness if we talk about our stuff let alone cry rewiring that it. shit it's a lifetime's journey eh? because we're constantly working against how we've been shown to be, but then we show that new way to our children and our grandchildren. Yeah, be honest with yourself.
0: Yeah, and I just want to say to you both, like, thank you for allowing me into your space. Like, obviously, I've only really sat and talked with you properly today. I know we connected well on kindness day and i have been excited to catch up. And bro, I've only met you today and the fact that you've allowed me into the space to talk about these things, um, which are pretty big things, pretty vulnerable things. and not often things you talk to someone the first time you meet them. Um, so yeah, man, like I really want to, to thank you guys for, for opening this up for me to, to be here. It's, it's a massive, massive privilege from uh, a learning capacity, from a connection capacity, from a relationship capacity, just a humane capacity. I feel very very thankful and privileged to to be in this space and sit at this table and have this quartet all with you fellas because i know some like i said earlier on you know and the listeners will know there's always a a question that i ask at the end of of my episodes but i'm not going to ask that today because i think it's pretty apparent um the answer to that question um for those of you that might be it's your first time listening to the podcast you'll have to go and listen to other episodes to find out what that constant question is you can skip to the end I always ask it at the end but um the answer to that question has made itself known multiple times I think well there's variations of answers to that question which have appeared throughout today's all. and yeah man <laughs> yeah I don't know what else to say but like yeah I feel very privileged to have sat here with you both and, and have this chat for the last hour or so um and I'll get the details about what's going on for the marathon that's coming up with our there over at um More FM. <laughs> to make sure I set the right <laughs> station. Bob will have me on a pillar. But um yeah, all for our there and the mahi that's going on because yeah man, like the, the work that you're doing's pretty incredible and you know, things like that. They don't run on fresh air. <laughs> so we we definitely wanna um, do as much as we can to to help getting youth support in that area, so we can have more more uh, people like Chris step into their rangatira tanga and mm. and come to the front and mm. and you know be that those intergenerational leaders to help our 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 bros in particular, but all of our whanau, mm-hmm. all of our whanau to be able to open up, bro. And as you said, it's a it's a passing of the baton. Unfortunately, we've inherited a lot of intergenerational stuff, um, but you know alongside with you bro i definitely believe we can help the intergenerational stuff will, will stop a lot of the things we inherited from being passed on as well but at the same time passing on the good shit that we yeah, want to pass exactly. on so so yeah appreciate you guys love you both for the space that you've given it's it's amazing i can't say enough
2: thank I you think, thank you for the for the opportunity bro yeah. thanks for the work that you're actually doing too and uh, the, more, the more people that
1: speak on it, the
0: better. It's going to change your name. Eh? Respect. Thank you. Do you are whanau? I don't know what else to add to that, to be honest. Huge corridor there from both Jamie and Chris speaking about the Taranaki retreat and how it came to be. Uh, as of now, it is the 25th of May 2021 uh, this Friday on More FM they're going to be doing a fundraiser for the Tarnaki Retreat so make sure you tune into that one if you're listening to this one a little bit late Kete Pai make sure you give them a google the Tarnaki Retreat and you'll be able to see how you can help out by donations even sponsorships and some other experiences that you can contribute to if you've been a encouraged to do so from the corridor that is eventuated um, here today. It's here, we don't forget it. Text 1737 if you want to talk to someone now. If you need to call a helpline to help you with whatever you've got going on, 0800 757. That's 0800 757. As always here on the Best Side Podcast, we want to hear about your feedback let us know this is probably one of the deeper subjects that we've gone in on and probably one of the more hohunu quarters that we've had and we want to get your feedback on it if you are finding it a bit scary a bit hairy if you enjoyed it whatever we want to hear about it please leave some comments on our socials whether that be facebook instagram um, at bestside with three Eyes. you can also email bestside at gmail.com that's right we're doing it with the Gmail at the moment, but the website is looking to be done soon. We will have all our bells and whistles. Uh, for now, though, thank you very much for joining me, joining us, I should say. Um, it's pretty privileged to be allowed to be able to navigate into people's private spaces like that and have those intimate or about some stuff that can be intensely private. Um, I hope you're well and everything that is going on, and we will see you next episode. Hey Kuna.